Hi everybody, Mitch Michaels here, and it's time for another episode of the Money Mitch Effect. On this eve of Thanksgiving, it is going to be a phenomenal show, I promise you that. Two special guests, Sam Haney first, he'll be talking college football. He's an Iowa guy, friend of mine from college, we'll talk about his Hawkeyes, we'll break down what was an awesome week in college football, and look forward to Rivalry Week, Ohio State Michigan is this week, I can't wait for that. A lot to discuss in the realm of college football. And then Nick Edmonds is going to come on the show. He's a friend of mine from the NFL Network. We'll talk a little bit about Chicago. We'll talk NFL fantasy football, his background, and some ideas we have for sports that, while they might not be practical, they'd be very, very entertaining if possible. We will be breaking down some great ideas there. It's the Money Mitch Effect. Vacation starts today. Let's go. All right, now joining the show, very special guest, another one of those blasts from my past. We have Sam Haney from my good old days at St. Louis University Radio. Sam, long time since we talked sports on a show. Thanks for joining the Money Mitch Effect. Way too long, Mitch. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So, Sam, we were, I'll give the listeners the short story, uh, slew classmates, and worked together in intramural sports. And it was very obvious early that we shared that college football bond. So when I got more and more into radio at the school, I tapped you as one of my resources when I talked college football. And you know what? A lot's changed since then. But it's funny, even with all the ups and downs of college football, it still feels like we can just talk and going into any Saturday and still be able to just you know, trade stories of what we think's happening. So I'm more than excited about what's about to take place here on the show. A lot's changed, but Ohio State's still dominant. <laughs> yeah, it's been a it's been some trying times for your uh, Iowa Hawkeyes, but I do have to thank you. Maybe send you a, a bottle of something for that performance two weeks ago. That really meant a lot to me. Well, we'll do our best every year we play Michigan. So let's get right into it now. There's only one week left in the regular season before conference championships. It's pretty staggering to think we've gotten that far. The big story, it's hard to top what happened two weeks ago with two, three, and four going down in successive fashion, but there wasn't as many dominoes dropping this week, but still some pretty big upsets to talk about. And right off the top, Sam, we have Houston going out at home and dismantling Louisville. Houston came into this game a double-digit underdog at home Thursday night. We know what happens, and the Cougars just destroyed Louisville and their championship hopes as well. So, Sam, looking at this game first, how was Houston able to just neutralize the presumptive Heisman Trophy winner? They're able to neutralize him because they try, they try to force him to make too many plays that he's not capable of making. I say that because usually this year, when Louisville's gotten the lead, that's when he's taken over the game. Now, I grant you, he had that back and forth with Clemson earlier, maybe four or five weeks ago, but he's not used to playing from behind. And when you start turning the ball over as a team, building up a deficit, it becomes harder and harder to play, and it showed that Thursday night. Yeah, and I just want to say as well, Tom Herman is a heck of a coach, and he was able to instill a game plan to get a lead on Louisville, make them play from behind, which you said they're not accustomed to. But I was shocked, Sam. I mean, I know, and Houston gets a lot of credit. They started off hot, hit the rough patch, lost to Navy, another conference loss in there as well. But this is a Louisville team that everybody thought was could somewhat control their own destiny. 
to get to the playoff. It almost seemed like they rolled over when adversity hit. I, I thought they could lose, but I didn't see them going out like this. Neither did I, but I was, I was okay with it. It exposed Louisville as a fraud. They haven't had many big wins this year. The one big game, as I recently spoke about Clemson, they couldn't finish that game either. If anything, it shows that we need to cut off some of the fat towards the top, and there was a fat that needed to be cut. Hey, you know what? There is a lot of chaos, and I guess while we're on the topic of that, just a little aside, I'm fine with the four-team playoff, Sam. I don't know what your thoughts are, and, you know, we disagree. That's fine. It's happened before. But I, I don't want eight teams. Could you imagine picking eight teams right now? I don't know that we would find eight good teams to put on a good playoff. Four is perfect for me. I can definitely imagine picking eight. I can imagine picking 16. My deal is, so we're complaining about who's the fifth and sixth being left out. <laughs> exactly. You know when there's eight teams, the ninth and tenth best teams are just going to be a riot when they don't get in. Same would be said if for 17, 18, 19, 20, if there were 16 teams. That will never change. So why dilute some of the best teams in the country by adding more and more, which we all know is to generate revenue. But I'm happy with four. Keep it at four. It also gives some worth to the other bowl games going on as well. Right, and we can talk about this. When it was computers, when it was the BCS, people complained, oh, no, this is computers. They don't know anything. When the last playoff ranking came out, it was, what are these people looking at? They don't, they're not even looking at data. So there's always going to be people complaining. And I would argue, too, to further your point, that we had more teams in the playoff. It's going to dilute the importance of this regular season. I like it when a top team is trailing and they could be ruining their entire season. You know, I, I think that that, would, that is what would happen if you added more teams. You'd get the Alabamas, the Michigans of the world saying, oh, we can afford to lose this game. We'll, we'll still be fine. And, and I don't ever want to see that in college football. I totally agree. So now, I mentioned that there was not many major shakeups among the top 10 teams, Louisville notwithstanding. The other teams did hold serve, some of them in snoozing fashion, like Alabama or Michigan. The Ohio State, Sam, they, uh, they had me a little worried. I'm not going to lie. They win 17-16 over Michigan State on the road. Michigan State goes for too late in that game, doesn't get it. Now, from the outside, Sam, do you think this was an alarming game for Ohio State? Do you think this is going to be a sign of things to come, maybe getting exposed? Or was this just an unfocused team that really just needs to and can get back on track? I mean, as we're both Big Ten guys, just big games when it comes to teams in general, winning on the road is going to be tough. Mm-hmm. This is a Mike D'Antoni coached, Mike D'Antonio coached team that you know they're going to bring their best shot. Excuse me, I think I said Mike, but Mark D'Antonio. There's that Michigan game the next week, and as much as players can say they're focused on Michigan State, you know that most of those players in the locker room are looking at Michigan, and they went on the road regardless, and they beat a Michigan State team, which hasn't had the best year this year, but they've been playing decent recently. So I chalk it up as a win, a win to win, and let's set up the big game this week. Yeah, and you know from experience, when your Iowa Hawkeyes had that great year, Michigan State almost took them out and came down to the last play there, too. This is a team that gets up for these games. So while I was worried, while I was freaking out, borderline passing out during this game, they survived, they move on, now comes the true, the final test before postseason play comes to mind. So I worry a little bit about going forward, the weather. We, one of the Achilles heels of this Ohio State read option team in the games that I've watched, Sam, has been when it snows, when it rains. Weather can always play a role, but ultimately I think it's going to come down to players and their coaches. And I know Ohio State, along with Michigan, are going to wake up 
for that game come prepared. And I guess I don't give weather as much as a factor, but I mean you can't discount it. That's for sure. I know I might be nitpicking here, but you got <laughs> you got to look at it, I guess, from my perspective to see it that way. Talking with Sam Haney on the Money Mitch effect. College football, one final week of the regular season. Before we get to what the playoff picture, what the polls are going to look like as we record this on a Monday night, Sam, I want to get your thoughts on what's going on in Texas right now. The Longhorns are 5-6. and six. They just lost to Kansas for the first time since before World War II, which is an unbelievable stat in itself. Charlie Strong, though, we all know, we all figure he's going to get fired, but my problem, and I'm interested to hear your perspective on this, why are they just hanging him out there? Why haven't they ripped the Band-Aid off just yet? He knows his fate. The public knows his fate. Now the players know his fate, yet we still haven't had an announcement. I, I agree. I think it's shocking. I think it's disrespectful. I don't think it ultimately attracts other head coaches that might want to come into the University of Texas booster atmosphere. It's a disservice to Charlie Strong. Yes, his teams have not performed to near the expectations that the loyal fan base that UT expected, but he's a hell of a coach whose players, as you might have seen or heard at the press conference today, love him. Now, my question is, what's more important? Is the money in the boost at Texas or is the players, the team, and them building? Yes, winning's important, but we all know at the end of the day what mostly speaks volumes. Yeah, look, I know how this works. I know the bottom line is the bottom line. Charlie Strong seems like a good guy. Players rally around him. I do understand firing him given performance, but, yeah, I mean, they gotta they got to be more professional about this. They leaked out that story that he was on the chopping block before you know, the season was even halfway over. I think that spoke volumes about how they do business. And, you know, he inherited a pretty bad program, a program that was uh, in it was a mess. So you could have talked me into giving him one more year. Eventually you have to start winning. But my biggest question with that, Sam, is everyone talks about Tom Herman and some other names are being thrown out there. But what if they don't get their guy? Then where does this program go? And you see that too many times with these big programs where they only have one name in mind. If they don't get him, then they're out of plan Bs. And this isn't one of those things where it's Texas and only Texas looking for a head coach, Mitch. Mm-hmm. You know, LSU's going to be looking. To an extent, Baylor will be looking. Well, they will be looking, but I don't know how attractive Baylor will be compared to the other ones. And even Oregon. Hey, real quick, we add Notre Dame yeah. to that list? Add Notre Dame, because I think Brian Kelly's gone. <laughs> I really do. And I think he, maybe not so much like Charlie Strong, at least to me, but Brian Kelly's earned it. He's had his time. He's had his chances. Yes, you can add Notre Dame to that list. You know, it's one thing to be Charlie Strong and struggle when you're saying and doing all the right things and you're conducting yourself with class. You see these Notre Dame games. Kelly's a lunatic on those sidelines. I don't know what to say about that. The guy just is losing control of the program that he built and he runs almost like a dictator. And that's one of those things, Mitch, where winning takes care of everything. Over the last few years, they have not been winning like they previously were. And when you start losing, a lot of the antics on the sideline becomes a lot more visible, and it can become potentially a lot more pain in the butt. And when they're seeing them losing like that, players not really respecting the head coach, it makes the perfect formula of time to leave, Brian. Yeah, and you know what? I've been on record on this show saying if you look at Chip Kelly, if you look at Brian Kelly, excuse me, his career record in college, it's not very good. He, he's on the overrated side. You take away the undefeated season where everything fell together for them until they got basically murdered by that Alabama team. And you take away the undefeated team at Cincy that he just you know left in the middle of the night. 
there's a lot of losses on that team, you know, so on that record, so I don't know. But, you know, getting back to Charlie Strong, I just think it's unfortunate. It's how the business works. But, like, yeah, like you said, they're not the only ones looking for a coach. If they don't have somebody lined up right away, it could be very messy, and it could be a lot longer until this Texas program wins. Think about that, Sam. How, this is like the longest time in our lifetimes that we've seen Texas this bad for this long. Well, you know the Big 12 is enjoying it. <laughs> but ever since Vince Young held up that national title against USC, I mean, Paul McCoy held the fort down as long as he could, but it's been a slow and grueling process, and right now they're kind of hitting rock bottom, which is unfortunate, because like I said, I'm a big Charlie Strong guy, and I wish nothing but the best for him. Certainly me as well. Now, all right, let's look at this playoff picture right now. And again, we're recording this on a Monday. By the time this show drops, we're thinking Wednesday the 23rd, the rankings will be out. But we think right now we can make a pretty good uh, prediction for how this is going to go. So, Sam, Alabama's going to stay in that one spot. I like Ohio State in the two. Are we saying Clemson passes Michigan? I mean, it's almost irrelevant at this point, but... I'm thinking that that could be the case, given that they've already booked their spot in the ACC title game. I don't see Clemson passing Michigan, oh. Mitch, largely because, kind of as you alluded to, Michigan and Ohio State will more or less, the loser will be canceled out anyway, so that kind of removes the pressure from the committee from having to make that tough decision. Mm-hmm. Clemson, just, I know they played a decent schedule this year, but they just do not pass the eye test for me. They vaunted eye test that no one can actually explain without showing how subjective they are. Well, I'm with you. NC State game, where I just thought that NC State had that wrapped up easy field goal, and they push it. I mean, Clemson's a little bit of nine lives. It's not like they dropped the ball once this year and dominated everybody else. I think Michigan's earned the top four. They lost on a game-winning field goal time expired on the road in the Big Ten. Regardless of the opponent, go Hawks, they lost. But I still think Michigan deserves to be three, and I think Clemson will stay at four, and the top four will stand pat, and the status quo will be the same after these week's rankings anyway. Yeah, I hear that argument, and I do agree with you on Clemson. I thought they've been overrated for most of the year. How many close games have they had? I mean, you could even look at Florida State, a game where Florida State, if they put together, if they don't just have a brain fart on that final drive, they could win that game. Auburn, they let them stick around at the end on opening night. So there is a lot to look at with this Clemson team and be worried. I was just thinking also the Indiana game after the loss. They didn't actually look that inspiring for most of it, but it's a moot point. They're playing for a spot. The winner will make the playoffs. The other side of this, though, now with Louisville losing, Sam, who do you think is going to get that fourth spot? Because we're looking at Wisconsin-Washington as the 5-6 teams in the playoff rankings in some order. You have Oklahoma-Penn State, Colorado, and Oklahoma State. Now, there's a lot of teams there, but if we're looking at a team to make that push for that fifth spot, do you think it is the Badgers, if they win the Big Ten title, even if it's Penn State, that they play in the title game? Well, to answer your question, if Wisconsin wins the Big Ten title game, yes. I think they will for sure be in the Final Four playoff rankings. That being said, it really is contingent on that Ohio State-Michigan game, because as a Big Ten guy, you know all the different possibilities Mm -hmm. that go into who wins that game. Ohio State wins that game, and Penn State beats Michigan State. Penn State's playing for the title. Against Wisconsin, wow. I think Ohio State still makes it. And I think, truthfully, if Ohio State or Michigan make the title game from the East in the Big Ten, they will beat, most likely, Wisconsin. Yeah. Putting Ohio State in the final, because preview, I think Ohio State beats Michigan. But that being said, if Penn State were to make the title game, 
against Wisconsin, then I think either winner would leapfrog whoever's in front of them and make the Final Four. So I'm, I'm with you on Wisconsin. If they went out, they're in. They've done enough. Their losses are to two of the top three teams in the country, three or four teams in the country by one possession. Yeah, if they went out, they're in. Penn State, I'm having a little harder time. I'm, I'm still not quite that if they went out that they go, just because I want to see how this Pac-12 shakes out. We're going to get to that in a second. But I'll put it to you right now. As an Ohio State fan, should I be rooting for Penn State to still take care of business in the back of my mind thinking that a title game can only hurt us? I mean, it wouldn't hurt, but I think ultimately all you have to worry about is the game. Yeah. Ohio State beats Michigan, they're in, regardless if Penn State wins and goes as the Big Ten East champion to the Big Ten Conference title game. I mean, there's a lot of possibilities to consider, but you're right, I probably shouldn't think of all, all this and just worry about one Saturday at a time. Yeah, try to avoid those gray hairs <laughs> as much as possible, I'll say that. Yeah, I'll definitely try to do that. And with that, still talking college football with Sam Haney on the Money Mitch Effect. I talked about the Pac-12. This conference has been very intriguing to me because Washington was undefeated and a USC buzzsaw took them out two weeks ago. They're still sitting at 10-1 and at the top of the conference, but they have to play Washington State to even get into the Pac-12 title game. Before we get to all the scenarios and everything that could happen in the game preview, Sam, is there any way a Washington team or maybe a team from the other side of the Pac-12 could crash this playoff party? 100% yes. If you asked me a, two weeks ago or so, I would have said most likely not. But the way things have transpired, especially that Louisville lost, the door's open. I only see one team from the Pac-12 from where the standings are at now potentially making the playoff, and that's Washington at six, mostly because to make it to the playoff, it'd have to be the ranked Washington State team. Then, depending on who went from the other side of the Pac-12, whether that's USC or Colorado, if they were to beat Colorado or USC, I think that would get them enough to leapfrog into that upper four echelon, which then ultimately also might kick out Clemson, <laughs> which I'd be okay with. We haven't even talked about what happens if Clemson loses in the ACC title game, which would be remarkable in itself. But I'm with you. Washington, if they win, and I think the style points of beating the USC, uh, a team that's unbelievably on fire, would be huge. They would have avenged their loss in the process. So now USC, though, I mean, they're, they're a team. It's three losses. They're out of the playoff picture, I think. I think we can agree on that. But I don't know that there's a hotter team in college football right now. And if you ask me on a neutral field... What would happen in this Pac-12, I would take USC in a heartbeat, although they didn't get get it going until too late. Exactly right, Mitch. They reeled off seven wins, be Colorado in the process, be Washington in the process, two top ten victories. It just makes you think, at least as a USC fan and just as a college football fan in general, what happened early on? I mean, the Stanford game, losing by 17, Mm -hmm. this is the same Stanford team that's had trouble against a lot of the teams in the Pac-12. Getting blown up by Alabama, so be it. They're the cream of the crop of the SEC. But Stanford game, you got to think USC's at least a six, seven point favorite on neutral field with them, if not bigger. And and I would argue too that you know the Bama loss, they were going to lose that game. Anyone was going to lose that game. But they're not the same team that that played Alabama that night. I don't know that they would beat them. I'm pretty sure they wouldn't beat them or again. But a new quarterback, a revamped offensive line, and finally an identity. That's a tough way to start your season, regardless of who you are. I do want to say one quick thing, though, on the Pac-12 before we get going. I'm not saying Washington State, they got too much ground to make up. 
But Colorado, Sam, this is an intriguing upset. They could win out, beat Washington. They would need some help, but you could talk me into them maybe being the dark sleeper in this one. Yeah, if you kind of like you said, look at the domino effect. If Ohio State can take care of Michigan, you got to figure Michigan's out of the top four. And then if Ohio State were to take care of most likely Wisconsin, you got to figure Wisconsin's bounced. And by Ohio State taking care of business, then it really comes down to Penn State. Can they play themselves <laughs> out of it? Because if Penn State makes the Big Ten East, then they could get beat by Wisconsin. Same with OU, they could get beat by Oklahoma State. So a lot can happen. The probability isn't as high as the making of some of these other teams, but the chance is there. I'm excited. See how much more exciting this is when there's four teams? There's all these possibilities. We're not having to just, you know, bend over backwards for Team 8 and 9. So, anyway, that's how I look at it. And I don't want to pick this game just yet, but I do want to talk about the Big 12. We have a winner-take-all game coming up in Oklahoma. I can't wait for that. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Winner-take-all. Is there any chance, any chance at all, Sam, that one of these teams could be a sleeper? I don't think Oklahoma State can make it even with a victory over OU, Mitch. Mm-hmm. But OU has a shot. They're sitting at seven right now, and several teams in front of them can fall behind them. That being said, style points, as much as some people say they don't matter, I think they do. One victory that comes to mind was that Big Ten title game at Ohio State over Wisconsin, 59 nothing. Uh, if something like that were to transpire, I think that would definitely catch the committee's eyes, and OU would have something to say. Yeah, man, OU's tough for me because they have been the best team in this Big 12 regular season, but they have two big non-conference losses, and they weren't really that close. Houston, who's you know shown that they can play with anybody, obviously, and then Ohio State, which was at home, that was their chance, and it just didn't happen. Oklahoma State, though, has that weird loss to uh, was that Central Michigan, who the missed call, they should have actually won that game. But their other loss, Sam, to Baylor, who is in an absolute free fall. Yeah, I agree. It's unfortunate, but I agree with you. I think there's just too much ground to be made up for the Cowboys. Should be a good, should be a good game. Okay, I want to put Colin Oklahoma State, too, before I move on, Mitch. Did you hear Mike Gundy's comments today? He said something along the lines of, well, our loss against Central Michigan, everyone knows, shouldn't be a loss. So the committee looks at this as a one-loss team. Get out of here, Gundy. Are you serious? <laughs> That's all I had to say. We've we've reached politics season because this is the same guy that, and I commended him when he did it, took responsibility for doing what he did in that game, which was throw the ball directly out of bounds. It's politics season. The committee's not looking at him like that. These coaches are ready to just start pushing their agendas on us, so let's all get excited for that. Now, still talking college football with Sam Haney on the Money Mitch Effect. Before we get to rivalry week, before we pick some games, Sam, I want to talk about your Iowa Hawkeyes and you know your reaction to a season that, gosh, what a, what an up and down adventure it must have been. You're seven and four right now, heading into the big game against Nebraska. If I would have told you before the season that you would split games with North Dakota State and Michigan, I don't think you would have expected the outcome that actually happened. Uh, no, as an Iowa fan, I would not have. But that's college football in a nutshell. Each week, you never know who could go down, and unfortunately, Iowa's gone down already four times during the regular season compared to zero last regular season last year. Are you happy with how it's gone, by and large? I know each week is always different, and there's some weeks you're happy with wins, obviously, but are you happy with the campaign the job Ferentz and company have done with this year's squad? I have always been, still am, and forever be a Kirk Ferentz supporter. 
all these fans, whenever things get tough in Iowa City with the Hawks and how they're playing, who want to kick fans to the curb and look for a new coach are crazy. <laughs> he's the best Iowa had. Obviously, he's pride, but he's one of the best coaches to develop players in the country. He's a guy you can count on, and I will always tie my wagon to the captain's uh, something in his car. <laughs> well, I, I get it. I, um, I get what you're saying. And he's a coach that, if you want to be critical at times, we can be. The conservative nature can be frustrating, but two big things with him. One is he's an underrated tactician. The way he outcoached Harbaugh to win the Michigan game was brilliant, how he just bogged the game down. We're going to slow things up. We're going to take possessions away. I thought that was a genius move. And that tied into my other point, Sam. He's a guy that when things get tough, he can rally around around his players. You know, the team... When they start losing some games, we're not automatically thinking, oh, here it goes, they're going to lose out, which a lot of teams do. He finds a way to get that you know, rebound to get back to 7-4 and four after a slow start. And I think, you know, I think he's done a good job. Only the Penn State loss, obviously the North Dakota State loss, how it ended. But he's kept your team in it and motivated. And I think when true title hopes go down, I think that's an underrated trait of a good head coach. I completely agree, Mitch. And as much as we Iowa fans had expectations going in. We also knew to leave our expectations at the door because of how things usually go on throughout the years. But as inconsistent as these Iowa teams have been sometimes, you could argue, Ferris has been a consistent force. I'm willing to say not only me, but most people I know would back Coach Ferris. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be going anywhere anytime soon. And I think that's good for your program. I think having that stability, uh, having him there, to uh, lead this team should bode well for their future, both short and long term. And with that, Sam, I want to start the game picking for this week with your game. Because now we have Iowa-Nebraska, the newest rivalry. I I think it's the newest rivalry in the Big Ten. That's what I would say. But here we go, Iowa-Nebraska. The game's going to be taking place at 12.30 on Friday. So at 12.30, I guess my time, I should say. But Iowa at home... Nebraska, number 18 in the country on the road, and you know what the difference is between finishing 8-4 and four and 7-5. and five. What should we expect from this game? Well, I think you should expect at least on the Iowa and the defense showing up. Back-to-back weeks now, they've held the opposing team to under 200 total yards, and that included a top-five, number-two, number-three overall Michigan team who was firing at all cylinders. One thing that's to be taken into account is the Nebraska quarterback situation. Uh, we don't know if Armstrong's playing. We don't even know if the backup's playing because he got hurt and had surgery, it sounds like, this past week. So uh, I know Vegas likes the Hawks at minus three right now, and if Nebraska can't find something at quarterback, that might not be high enough. Yeah, it's that's, this is an interesting line because I thought Iowa would actually be bigger favorites than this. You have the rivalry game factor. You have an Iowa team heating up. And I, Nebraska, they are the opposite of the Ferentz coach teams. When it goes south, man, it goes south. So we'll see. I like Iowa in this game. I'm always prone to these close games to go to the home team and the crowd to will them on. But, yeah, I like your defense here. And I think this is going to be a game that's not as high scoring as Nebraska fans would like. I'll just put it that way. I'm right there with you, Mitch. Surprise, surprise. i got to take the Hawks here. And if I'm a betting man, I'm giving the points. So there is one game on Thursday. That's college, not you know your NFL typical Thanksgiving game. And luckily for us, it's two ranked teams. Texas A&M hosts LSU. A&M 8-3, LSU 6-4. What do we think about this game here? LSU, they're 
final chance to make a, an impact this season on the road. Well, they get it done against the Aggies. Go by you, Mitch. Uh, I think they do take care of business. Kane has been reeling. Mm-hmm. They've lost three of the last five, and one of those is against a non-SEC conference opponent. Uh, I mean, you can't blame for Bama, but losing at Mississippi State and then coming home and losing to Ole Miss, you just can't like that as a fan, as a player. LSU, don't overthink yourselves here. Ride Leonard. It's that simple. <laughs> They'll take you into the sunset and win this game. Yeah, I'm. I'm with you. I like LSU. I was wrong on AM in one sense. I thought they would. I thought the season would crumble much earlier than it did. I've been calling this team out for being on the front runner side for a while, and maybe that is Coach Sumlin. But there's something about AM when it's right, everything's going well. You know, everybody's dancing. But when it goes wrong, we start to see things go south fast. I will say this though. LSU defensive secondary versus that AM passing attack is going to be the matchup of the game, and I'm really excited to watch that because AM has some underrated receivers. They always produce them every year, but LSU's secondary is the same in that regard. So I like LSU. I think it'll be close, though. I don't know. I don't even know if they cover this, but I'm saying a close LSU victory. Give me the Tigers. More games to talk about Friday. Wow, here we go. Is it the Apple Cup? Is that what we're calling it? The Washington State... Cougars taking on the Washington Huskies. It's at Washington State. Now, this is huge. The winner will go to the Pac-12 title game. Washington could be on the outside looking in of their own conference title game with a loss. They're six-point favorites on the road. Sam, does Mike Leach and company have enough to take out their in-state rivals? Boy, you almost hope he does, just so you can hear that (laughs) post-game press conference Leach. But ultimately... I watched the Washington State-Colorado game last week, and it's still boring about Colorado, what they brought to the table, but I wasn't super impressed with the Cougars. And ultimately, I got to go with Browning and the Huskies and give me Washington. Six-point road favorites against a ranked team is very weird. Weird to the point where if I was a betting man, I wouldn't touch this game because that just seems so high given the stakes of what's going on. But I am with you. I thought Washington State's done a tremendous job. I picked Colorado to win last week because I didn't think they were quite ready for this, and I still don't think they're quite ready for this. So I'm going to say Washington wins here. And Browning keeps the season alive. He keeps their playoff hopes alive. And they're, You know what, though, Sam? If they're even in the discussion after conference championship games, the uh, Huskies will have earned it because they do not have an easy end of the season by any stretch. Completely agree. Actually, two games I want to talk about quickly that aren't, the quote-unquote big games of the week. And that's Boise State goes to Air Force, Sam, as nine-and-a-half-point favorites. And Western Michigan hosts Toledo, undefeated Western Michigan, taking on a 9-2 and two Toledo team. Here's why it's interesting. These are the 20 and 21-ranked teams in the country, and these are the front-runners, depending on what happens with Houston, to potentially get that New Year's Day Bowl. We'll see what the rankings come out with Houston, a two-loss team. But who, if you had to pick between these two, Western and Boise, you think is the better team and is more likely to get ranked ahead of the other? Well, I think it's Boise State. I know Western Michigan's undefeated, but who will be beaten? <laughs> yeah. Boise State had that big victory early in the year, I believe it was against Washington State early on, and I know teams change, and I know a team in November might not look anything like a team in September. But Boise State schedules some out-of-conference opponents that are a whole heck of a lot better than Western Michigan. It's a great story, but... I'm looking at the schedule. I'm looking at teams that are just more challenging. So give me the Broncos between them and Western Michigan. I also think, and it pains me to pick against a, a Maction team, but I agree with you. I think Air Force is a tough game. 
But Boise has the tougher schedule, has the big Washington State win. I think they're the team here. Because Western, look, in the MAC championship game, it's going to be Ohio or Miami of Ohio. I mean, they're, they're not going to get to boost their resume that way. Good story. I want to see them. I want to see both these teams, regardless of what day it is, play in a very good bowl game against a team from a power conference. Then maybe we'll learn one way or the other what to make of these teams. You know, it's funny, Sam. I, I think we'd have to go back and talk to your past self about the day you defended Boise State. <laughs> given where you were six years ago. I don't know that that was even possible. Well, when you're just saying you hope that these two teams go far, I'll say, whoa, whoa, slam the brakes here, Mitch. It's not like they're playing a lot of Power 5 conference teams. No, I, I know. But it's just funny because that was the argument back in the day, and, and here we are with that. Okay, uh, a couple more games to talk about here, and we'll do we'll talk about this one first. I'm going to talk about Colorado and Utah. And Colorado, Sam, if they win this game, they're in the Pac-12 title game. Utah just lost to Oregon in dramatic fashion. Do the Buffaloes get it done? Do they take care of their own destiny and clinch that spot? I really think they do, Mitch. And like I said, when I touched on their game last week against Washington State, they're a fun team to watch. I think them being in the Pac-12 hasn't helped exposure, mostly because Pac-12 games are on later. But they have a solid team all around that can definitely give... Utah fits, and ultimately I think they can beat Utah and will beat Utah. Yeah, this is a big game. It's at home. They have something to play for for the first time in years. I'm on board. Colorado gets it done. They're 10.5-point favorites. I think they cover. Utah saw their season crumble before their eyes, and not just this week, but in the last couple weeks. I like Colorado here. The other plus side of this Pac-12 going down on the wire, Sam, is we get to see USC motivated play, <laughs> play Notre Dame at home in a game that could be a 40-point route. That's true. It's between two teams I'm not the biggest fan of, so I wouldn't mind if they both lost. <laughs> but I think they have Notre Dame, yes. Another game we got to discuss between two ranked teams, Sam, the battle of the Sunshine State. Florida State takes on the Florida Gators. It's in Tallahassee at Doe Campbell Stadium. FSU is six and a half point favorites. They're eight and three. Florida's eight and two. And Florida, they're already in the SEC title game. I don't know what the motivation will be like this game, but we'll see. Who are you rolling with here? Ah, that minus six and a half Florida State line just doesn't make me comfortable. I think oh, it's no. going to be closer than that. But Florida showed me something that LSU game. I did not think they'd beat LSU, much less in the Bayou. So you almost want to go with the Gators, but ultimately I just can't bet against Thousand Cook at home rivalry game. Chance to go four and zero against the Gators as a senior. I got to go Florida State and Seminoles, and I say they take care of business in Tallahassee against the Gators. I'm with, yeah, I'm with you here. Look, the the other thing about this is we're going to see how much this rivalry really means because these are two teams right now that don't really have a whole lot to play for, I would say. The playoff hopes are dead for both, but Bama is waiting for Florida. They, they're going to get them regardless. Good luck with that. And Florida State with the three losses already as well, kind of wounded. I like Florida State here. Cook against that Florida defense is a good matchup. Quarterback situation's been an adventure all year for the Gators. They look like they're rolling with Appleby. I'm still not sold on either him nor Del Rio. I like the Seminoles here. You don't like the former Boilermaker, Florida? <laughs> you produce quarterback that couldn't take care of business? Well, yeah, when you have a Boilermaker behind center, I mean, what could go wrong? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I, I, it is true. Look, Florida State is not a lock. They've blown a lot of games, and they've crumbled down the stretch. Yeah, and for whatever reason, if Florida's in a close game, it bodes well for them, but 
Yeah, I'm going Seminoles here. I think that's a safe pick. All right, a couple more games now to discuss. Money Mitch effect with Sam Haney. Mm -hmm. The last two games to talk about. We'll start with the Iron Bowl. Sam, Alabama and Auburn. Alabama undefeated. It's in Tuscaloosa. 17 and a half point favorites. On a scale of 1 to 10, let's put it this way. I'm trying to ask this in a, in a different way. How much of a chance does Auburn realistically have of winning this game? Right when you're asking that question, Mitch, <laughs> I wanted to say one with my gut. You know what? It's a rivalry game. You never know what could happen. From a scale of 1 to 10, I'd put them out of 3. There's always a chance, but more than likely than not, they're not going to do it. Yeah, I would have said two to my own question, and the reason why it's not quite a three, how bad has this Auburn offense looked in the last couple weeks? And when you cope that with Alabama's defense and the fact that the second Alabama gets a lead, gets a two-score lead, what faith could I possibly have in Auburn coming back and putting up points on that defense? That, that's where I'm at. Bama is as good, in my opinion, as any team Saban has ever had. And I just don't like this matchup from a tactical standpoint. The rivalry is the rivalry, so you never know. But I'm at a two in confidence level for the Tigers. And to go off your point, Mitch, about that front seven for Bama, I was in Baton Rouge for the Bama at LSU game. And it was like looking at a whole line of NFL players, which ultimately will be. So how Auburn's going to get through that wall, we'll see. Most likely they won't. In which case, who knows? Maybe Bama's winning by 30. They could get that bad. <laughs> yeah, you know, and Saban is, is ready for this game. He's ready. He wants that, that undefeated season. Yeah, Bama's tough, man. I don't know anybody. It's going to be tough for anybody to beat this team, neutral field or, or not. Wow. Uh, so we both like Bama here. And then finally, I saved this game for last because you know me. It's the game. It's number two versus number three. Ohio State versus Michigan. Noon kickoff in Columbus, Ohio. Buckeyes, six and a half point favorites right now. Very interesting there. But let's talk about this from a tactical standpoint, Sam. For Michigan to have success, what do they need to do against Ohio State? They need to swarm, blitz, and just pressure the hell out of J.T. Barrett back there. We saw Michigan State try to do it their best, and they were successful to an extent, but Michigan State didn't have the firepower that Michigan's defense has. So if Michigan can wreak havoc in that backfield... It could possibly be a long day for Barrett. Yeah, I agree with that. And, look, the reason why I'm nervous, even as an Ohio State fan, even with Michigan's quarterback issues and, and how the Buckeyes have dominated this rivalry in recent memory, Michigan, in my opinion, Sam, has the best player in college football on their team. With all due respect to Lamar Jackson, there is not a player that I would rather have right now than Jabril Peppers. I think he's that good. I think he can make that big of an impact. And that's my biggest fear in this game, is that he goes crazy and his defense follows suit. For the Ohio State offense, it's going to be very important to spread the wealth. There is a lot of weapons. Weber is playing better. Samuel's there. Barrett, Noah Brown. I think this is textbook for much different than last year when it was the Ezekiel Elliott show. I think it's spread the wealth, keep Michigan on their heels, and yet again, like last year this time, dominate possession. I think if they can eat up clock, I think it's going to be a long day for the Wolverines. And to follow up on that point, Mitch, if they can not turn the ball over, keep those turnovers to a minimum, which is an obvious point, but if they keep control of the ball, move it, kill the clock, I think they have a great shot to beat Michigan. You know, the other side of the ball, I'm very 
very interested in. It's the unsung matchup. Obviously, everyone's talking OSU offense versus Michigan defense. But if you flip the script on that, you have a Michigan team with O'Corn in there, not not Spates. He's you know out for the year, as we've alluded to. Ohio State's defense has made timely, timely plays. But I still wonder about what's going to happen with them against an offense that is moving the ball, that is playing big boy football. If Michigan's running game gets going and we saw them kind of explode toward the end of that Indiana game, that could be a different type of problem for the Buckeyes. So I do agree, though. O'Corn is going to have to O'Corn is going to have to make throws for this team to have a chance. And you know, Urban Meyer's preparing that team, fully saying, "O'Corn, you beat us. We know what you have in the backfield. You got to beat us." And that being said, that doesn't mean Michigan's running game itself can't beat Ohio State. Hell, Michigan State's almost did when L.J. Scott just had to take over. So Ohio State can be beat on the ground, but at the same time you got to make a big throw, as you just alluded to, and O'Corn live up to that task. Well, I'm excited now. I think this game is going to be one for the rivalries, one for the ages. You know how I think about this game. You know where where I stand in in its historical significance. But it's Meyer and it's Harbaugh round two. From a coaching standpoint, who do you think is going to have the advantage? And what can each coach do to have the advantage in this game? Based on recent recent success in college, Eileen Urban, as much as that pains me to say, <laughs> Urban just knows. I think Harbaugh's still learning on the job, as, as well as he was in the past at Stanford, et cetera, in the NFL. We all know he's a great coach, but not many people go into the shoe and beat Ohio State. And ultimately, I think if Urban can just make the game go to O'Corn and force him to beat him, and if O'Corn can't do that, I think Ohio State will be sitting pretty. There's the thing there. It's going to come down to the quarterback for Michigan, but also Harbaugh has to have a game plan that neutralizes that Ohio State offense. It's easier said than done. But, look, I do not like Michigan. I despise them, essentially. But I respect Harbaugh. I respect him as a tactician and what he can do. So this game is always going to keep me on edge. It's one of those things, Sam, where regardless of what the records are, you always feel like you have a chance, but you always feel like you can lose. And that's, that encompasses the rivalry the best way I can describe it. Because you know every one of these players lives and breathes football for this game. Very true. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, I'm going Buckeyes here. I like them by 10, I'll say. I'm going to watch every second of this game on, on the balls of my feet, ready to do whatever. If Urban needs me to phone in something, I'm willing to help him out any way I can. Truth be told, if this is on a neutral field, I kind of like Michigan. I think Ooh. if they play each other ten times, Michigan wins six out of ten times. Okay. Right. However, <laughs> however, I just can't pick a John O'Corn-led team over a JT Barrett-led team. This is the reason why JT Barrett was a Heisman contender to begin the year and partially throughout the year. But in Ohio State, JT Barrett at the helm, I can't pick against the Bucks. I'm going Ohio State. Right. I'm with you there. So that that's going to wrap it up for our, our discussion today. Sam, thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate it. It's been too long. I thought, you know, we picked up right where we left off five years ago. Appreciate you having me, Mitch. It's been a blast. and hope to do it again. Be good. Yeah. Hey, you know what? There's going to be a couple more games left, a couple more weeks left. So bowl season is another season entirely. So who knows where both our teams lined up. Well, hopefully you're looking at a playoff. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thanks again, Sam, for coming on the show. Appreciate it, Mitch. Take care.
Always a good time talking college football with Sam. And yeah, I can't wait to do it again. He is ready to go. You can see that it's been years in the making, but Sam is very sharp in that topic. It was a pleasure talking with him because we have one more week in the college football season. All right, now it's time to talk with Nick Edmonds. We'll talk about his show, NFL Fantasy Live, a little bit about his background, some Chicago stuff, Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, you know. And then we'll get into some pro wrestling. That was our common bond. Sports ideas we want to see enacted. And yeah, Thanksgiving. It's a day away. We had to do some power rankings. That's at the end. So make sure you're staying in tune to listen to that. Nick Edmonds, Money Mitch Effect. Here it is now. Now it's time to talk about sports with a good friend of mine. First time on the show, Nick Edmonds. Nick, it's been a long time coming. Thanks for joining the Money Mitch Effect. Hey, thank you for having me. You know, uh, it has been a long time coming, and I just want to say congrats on the podcast. I got on iTunes. You know, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, well, thanks. It means a lot. And, you know, it, it's all about the guests. I'm giving full credit to you guys and the fact that you had been in NFL Network a year before me, but I came in at a time when a lot of young people were there, like yourself, and just getting to know and kind of expand a lot of sports professionals. I don't know that I'd be able to or would even have thought to have this podcast without so many young people just all at once, like getting just thrown at me and no sports. Right. So we'll start with the Chicago side. You're a Chicago guy, and we've been on quite of a roll with some of the Chicago fans in here, but... The last guy I talked to, one of the guys we work with, Matt Zickis, is a White Sox fan. Ooh. You're more Cubs. I'll let you talk about that and what that meant. I think enough times passed, but it's still a little uh, scab I haven't completely you know, gotten over. You know, I, I wanted to make sure that enough time had passed if you were okay to talk about it because I can only imagine, you know, how tough that would have been on the other side of it. But what a game, what a series. And we had talked about this, about this a little bit before, but I would never consider myself a diehard Cubs fan or diehard baseball fan, really. But, like, watching those Cubs in the playoffs was just electric. That team was so fun to watch. And really just playoff baseball in general, I think, is so much more fun to watch. Like, even after the Cubs won, you still probably won't catch me watching regular season baseball unless I'm at the game. But, uh, I mean, it was so much fun watching that series. And, I mean, that Game 7 could easily have been the best game of all time. Well, just a quick aside on that. There's only three games in my lifetime that I'd put in the upper echelon. It's hard for us to kind of go off of games that we didn't run around to sure, see. Sure. There was the Bumgarner game. And it might not have been the best game, but just to see him come out in Game 7 against the Royals, yeah. and that was must-see TV. Mm-hmm. And the other one was that Cardinals-Rangers uh, Game 6, I think it was, when the Cardinals were down to their final strike like three times and, and kept coming back and ended up winning. Those are the only three games that I can think of, and the Indians and Cubs Game 7 this year, where it was must-see must see TV. You had to see every pitch, which you can't really say about a lot of baseball games, unfortunately. And that's the thing, what, what you mentioned, every pitch, like every single pitch matters. There's just so much at stake for every single pitch. Anything can happen, and that game was just so Hollywood, so cinematic. <laughs> and obviously, any Chicago fan, Cubs or Sox, or out of Chicago, knows about that curse, and... I swear, when Lester got put in, and I think it must have been like one of the first pitches he threw was in the dirt, knocks Ross in the Loopy. face. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, he looked like he was concussed, and the ball went, and I think two runners scored. But then he just hits a home run in his next Yes, but before that, you're just thinking, 
That is the cursiest curse thing that's ever happened. Like, oh my or god. Or like Rajay Davis hitting his first home run in two months off yes. of Chapman. Oh my god. And then the rain started coming after that, was, that home you know, run. That was the moment when the rain <laughs> came. And I, I've said this before. If the Indians would have lost six to whatever before Davis hit that home run, it would have hurt, but not as much. I know. Once Fowler yeah. hit that home run to lead off, I'm like, okay, this is kind of how this is meant to be. Davis hits that home run. I'm back. I'm invested. I'm dancing up and down. And then the rain came when they didn't win it in the ninth, which was their best and probably only chance to do it. And that's when I'm like, I, that's when the, um, too many emotions took over. I don't smoke, but I feel like I needed a cigarette. Like, I was like, what is this? A delay in the World Series and extra innings. But hey, I couldn't believe that. Yeah. I mean, once you see that tarp out, you start thinking, are they going to, you know, I think it ha- I can't remember what year they happened, but Joe Buck had referenced it. Like, are they really going to call this game and finish it, you know, another day? That would be terrible. <laughs> and I was just like, I was like, get that tarp out of here. Let them finish. Unless it's about to be like a plague-like storm, like. So let him finish it. And like I said, I'm a pretty casual baseball and Cubs fan, but my heart was pounding those last probably three or four innings, just mm-hmm. heart in my throat. And I was I was just so happy for the city, happy for Bill Murray. You know, who can do it against Bill Murray? <laughs> that was tough for me. It really <laughs> that was. might be the I, toughest part. It you know? was definitely the hardest part. He's so damn entertaining. I'll put a bow on it like this. I've seen my baseball team lose two World Series in Game 7 in extra innings. In my lifetime, and I'm not yet 30. So, but hey, congrats to the Cubs. It was great, and I had nothing against that team other than the fact that they were playing the Indians and a lot of likable guys. Uh, I'm happy for you guys. Now, I do want to ask though, in your case, it's always interesting to me because I never grew up in a city with two teams in one professional sport. You're more Cubs. What was your family? I know a lot of people get the rooting interest from their parents and their family. What was your take on baseball growing up right this is like a really big deal in chicago this splits families test friendships but relationships right sure sure. my parents growing up took myself and my two siblings to both cubs and Sox games equally and neither my mom or my dad were big into baseball big into either team and i feel like like you said you do get a lot of that fandom from your family and so growing up i didn't really care much the one thing i would say one of my best friends growing up, his family was diehard Cubs, and I was always at their house. And his mom always was either watching the game on WGN or listening to the Cubs game on the radio. And so, like, I really do have a fondness for for that team right around the uh, the Barkman Ball era. You know, Sosa, Alou, you know, that incredible pitching lineup, Wood, Maddox, and all that yeah, prior. When the Barkman Ball thing happened in 03, I was devastated. Like, I was, I was stunned, like... I was very upset, and I think I, <laughs> I stepped away from the game, honestly. <laughs> said I stepped away from the game. <laughs> and so when the White Sox won in 05, I barely watched. I didn't care. Like, I was just so, like, I was still really upset. And then, like, it's the same thing now. Like, I've lived in L.A. since 09. When I come home for the summer, I'll still, I'll probably go to a game or two each while I'm home. One Cubs, one Sox. And, which, like, I think I'm the exception because, like I said, like, it is, it is diehard in Chicago, and people get upset when I tell them that, you know, I don't really have that strong of a preference. I was just rooting for Chicago in that in that series. I was just so happy for the city. There's a lot of negative news coming out of Chicago, a lot of violence. So I, it was just great to see, like, such a, a positive event for the city. Yeah, it definitely united a lot of people. And the Cubs, they've been through a lot. I, I'm not one of the, the meanest people in the world. I understand <laughs> that it meant a lot. And I'm glad it's a team that appreciates it, not the Florida Marlins again, you know, Definitely. the 97 thing. And you know about losing to the Marlins. So yeah. it's good that it was a Cubs team that actually, and it looks like they're building something very long-term 
with Theo Epstein. How about Theo? The curse savior. breaker. The curse yeah. breaker. Bring him to the Browns. Let's go. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but a year, no, you guys are going to be back, and you, you guys are going to be around the top of the AL for a long time. You guys have a really good team. It's hard not to uh, see the parallels between Rizzo and Bryant to Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze. He's kind of like two young studs kind of coming in right around the same time. Could be, could be another dynasty of the making. It could be, and that's a good segue because I don't. We won't get into all the Chicago teams for your sake as well. I think the Bears might be a yeah a little bit of a, a sore subject. It's a dumpster fire right now. I want to talk about the team that if I would ask you, you're a Chicago guy in your mid twenties. When you were a kid, did you think at this time that the dynasty in Chicago sports would be the Chicago Blackhawks? Oh man, not at all. I mean, I I definitely went to games growing up, and it was it was a dark time. I mean, you went to games just to say you went and maybe catch a t-shirt. Like, now, like, it's must-see hockey. Like, you go there and, you know, you're going to get wowed. You the know? product is just awesome. I mean, they're good. There's a lot of good teams in the NFL, but what the or NHL, but what the Blackhawks put on the ice is second to none. The show they put on. The yeah. Kane, Taves, Duncan, Keith Live, and Coach Quinville, who's one of the best coaches of all time. Coach, how could you beat that? I know. they're They're so fun to watch right now and, like, the pieces keep coming and going, but it's so great to see that core stick around, and you know that's what's really important. And Coach Q, you know, I want to see him with the Hawks as long as possible. But Patrick Kane just just wows me. I'm never more confident than when he has the puck. I feel like he's just a magician, and he can do whatever he wants. He's got the best hands in the league. He's phenomenal. He's gotten better every year, and. Taves is, you know, that leadership side of it. He doesn't always show up on the stat sheet. But you just know those guys. You know Duncan Keith and even Crawford recently. They're going to peak at the right times. Hosa as well. I do have the one Patrick Kane story. I don't know if I've told you this before. But I had a friend playing in a youth hockey tournament. They went up to uh, Buffalo area. And uh, I asked him how they were doing. This is when we were like 12 years old on a different team. And he said, yeah, we lost the game to this team from West Seneca, 7-6. to six. And it was really weird. This one kid had all seven goals. Oh, Patrick wow. Kane. Wow. <laughs> so fast That's forward, awesome. you know, nine years after that, we're watching him score the game winning goal against the Flyers to win the oh, first of three Stanley he's Cups. He's tearing it up. It's almost like a yin and yang with him and Tay. is like he's very serious and almost more of like a, a grinder, you know. But, uh, yeah, I, I love that duo. And Keith and Seabrook and, and Hosa, you know, uh, however many years he has left, I hope they're all with the Hawks. But and he had like back-to-back overtime goals, I think, uh, a couple nights ago. So he's aren't, still getting it done. Aren't you just remarkably impressed by how they're able to man- manage and navigate around the salary cap and how they're able to draft well, sign well? And think about it. You've been through a lot with these Chicago teams. The Cubs, before they got good, come to mind. Bulls post-Jordan, where it was poor drafts. It was terrible free agent signings. Yes. It was just a lot of dead money. The Blackhawks have the two highest paid players in the league, have to get rid of good players every year to stay afloat, yet still remain competent and very competitive. It's very impressive, uh, you know, to keep that core for as long as they have and to keep putting these winning pieces around them year in and year out. It's it's very impressive, and, you know, I think a lot of credit goes to our GM, uh, Stan Bowman. Yeah, he deserves a statue. I don't know if it's Kane, Taves, or Bowman, but one of those <laughs> three is going to get a statue outside yeah, of the United right. Center. Anybody in the league could have signed Artemi Panarin out of Russia. The Blackhawks jumped out. Artemi and Kane have just had well, and so and much M- chemistry. And Nisov now, too. Yeah. And that's another guy that was washing around the league. You know, he was bouncing around. No one really put him uh, in a position to succeed. Granted, playing with Kane is going to help. But it's more than just one player. And it's Coach Q. What he's done. 
how he's enabled them to be free-flowing without compromising on the defensive side. I'm not a Blackhawks fan, but I am so impressed by what they've done. And, you know, as good as Kane is as a goal scorer, he's an incre- incredible distributor, too. Like, I, I would almost compare him to, you know, to Steph Curry, and not just because they both, you know, chew on that <laughs> that mouth guard yeah. and piss off defenders. <laughs> just seeing what he's done for Panarin and just, just such, a, such a great distributor for that team and really just making all the people around him better. They call him Showtime for a reason, and I think the Blackhawks, I mean, it, the Central's tough. The Blues are good. Predators have gotten better. Wild are looking good. But, wow, uh, they're going to always be in the mix with their roster, with their coaching, with their front office. And those teams, they're a lot bigger than the Blackhawks. So I always love those playoff matchups of, like, Blackhawks versus Blues because it's, like, a lot of speed and finesse versus power and, like, scoring defensemen for the Blues. It's a very good balanced matchup. Yeah, you can't – I think teams realize you can't compete with the level of skill in most cases. There's a few teams, maybe a Pittsburgh or a Washington, if you get right with the elite level guys. Mm -hmm. But the only chance you have against Chicago is to go the other way, be the physical team. Right. Into the Yang, and and I do like that. So we'll have to see. It's going to be exciting. Talking with Nick Edmonds on the Money Mitch effect. I'm talking a little bit about your background. You're a Chicago guy, but you went to USC, eventually got into working in sports. What was that like first going over, going away to college in a big city like Los Angeles, and then ultimately finding your way into the sports professional world? Well, out of high school, I knew, you know, I considered myself a pretty strong writer. I knew that I wanted to do something in journalism. And so I applied to a few schools, Northwestern, Mizzou. USC was like kind of like the long shot, like, oh, let's just see what happens. I didn't know anything about it. In high school, I was a huge Notre Dame fan coming from, uh, you know, Irish Catholic High School in Chicago, everyone loved Notre Dame, but, you know, my brother went there, but, you know, I took a shot at USC. I actually, I never even visited the campus before I went, and it came down between Mizzou and USC, and I kind of just went for it, and I was like, man, I don't want to pass up a chance to live in LA for four years. It seems like, you know, so many opportunities. I didn't know anybody going in, and, uh, but when I started, I was actually a print major, print journalism, because, you know, I thought I'd write for newspapers, magazines. I kind of, I guess you could say chickened out. I kind of got a little nervous of, you know, at family parties, everyone telling me print is dying, you know, all of this. And it kind of had an effect on me. So I kind of did a little side hop to uh, broadcast journalism, you know, stayed within the same school at USC, but it's kind of changed my emphasis a little bit. And I really enjoyed it just right away. I saw that I, I was still able to write, you know, I could still use my writing and creativity, but just, you know, through a different medium. So probably my sophomore year, I switched to broadcast did as much as I could. You know, I was a reporter. I was out recording B-roll for reporters. USC has a great student-run TV station called Annenberg TV News. I was a sports anchor at one time. That was a lot of fun. And that was cool because I got to produce and, you know, anchor. So that was really valuable experience for me. I even did, uh, it's probably embarrassing uh, to look back on it, but I did about a season and a half of hockey play-by-play for USC Hockey. They had a club team. And because, you know, honestly, I didn't I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I tried to do as much as possible. And huge shout out to anyone who calls hockey because it is tough. That's a fast game to call. You need to be a walking dictionary as far as hockey terms. And I think the one thing that kind of did me in, I didn't study the away team enough. Oh, it's the hardest. That's the hardest. I know I can call, you know, I can call the USC team as much. I know everybody's name and number and everything. But as soon as the other team had the puck, like, that was tough. Yeah. And I said, um, a lot, which you never wanted to. You know, instead of just taking, like, a natural pause, like, I felt like I always needed to be talking. Because a lot of the games, I was there by myself. I was doing play-by-play yeah. and color. 
that was difficult, but still a good experience. And, you know, all these experiences kind of helped me become the person I am today and kind of helped me decide what I wanted to do. So at the end of school, I kind of decided, well, I can try to be on-camera talent and, you know, go to one of the Dakotas or Wyoming or something, start small market, or I can be a producer in a big market right away. And so I kind of took the producer role, and luckily someone that that you know, that's someone who was at USC a little bit before me, but we had a little bit of overlap, Alex Wilk. Okay. Alex Wilk was a sports anchor when I was a sports desk assistant, so I would help him write stories, edit videos, do graphics, you name it. He eventually went on to NFL Network, or NFL.com rather, and I was a sports anchor, and he emailed me being like, this is a great entry-level position at NFL.com, and so I went for it, and you know... Big shout out to Alex Will. Got me, yeah. you know, foot in the door at NFL. Networking and sounds like picking the right school too. Kind of definitely, you, yeah. Like you, you know, it all it all worked out. It, it's know. tough. I mean, it, we're we're in a similar boat age wise and career wise, but it's tough because you do feel, at least I feel, in some ways like any decision you make, there's always in the back of the of your mind, did I do this right? Should I have sidestepped here? Should I have gone right. the other way? But no, it takes a lot of courage, and I was the same boat as you going to school that I didn't really know anyone. You just got to leap and trust your ability and your, your passion for sports. So yeah. it's kind of good to hear that. Now, working at NFL Network on the digital media side, you've been a veteran in the NFL fantasy game for a while now. That's right. Uh, this is my fourth season working for uh, NFL Fantasy Live, which airs Monday to Friday, uh, 2 p.m. Central. No. Are you going to get ready for this? Civic, yeah. <laughs> No, that's Goodell. Goodell okay. makes me plug it anytime okay. I say the name of the show. I'll take Got a royalty check, Roger. <laughs> yeah. Really good <laughs> so yeah, fourth season. It's a, it's a really fantastic show. My first year there, I was like graphics producer, and my second year, I was a segment producer. Got to come up with ideas for the show and kind of see them through. Also, I did a lot of copywriting uh, for some of the lead producers, and so I was really excited about that. So I considered myself like a kind of clever clever writer. So I enjoyed writing kind of bumps and teases. Uh, to get people to stick around and keep watching. And then uh, last year, my third year, I got to be a line producer, which I was ecstatic about because I was producing an hour-long show for a nationally televised show. I was, I was through the roof. This is you know, what I wanted to do. And I thought I did pretty well. And the show did extremely well last season. Granted, I thought it was because you know my incredible producing skills, but honestly, <laughs> it was probably because of the rise of things like FanDuel, DraftKings, yeah. the rise of these daily fantasy games. So our ratings were like through the roof, and so I was really excited. Unfortunately, they were a little bit too good, and they took notice. It was usually produced by NFL.com staff. This year, NFL Network producers kind of took it over. I'm still working on it, but now I work in a. I work more closely about the video elements of the show. So any VOs, music videos, kind of treated bumps, teases, things like that. But it's cool, you know, it's still, you know, I get to work on the show and kind of create the show, and I still get to pitch ideas. So, yeah, I mean, if you guys haven't seen it yet, definitely check it out. I know fantasy season's more than halfway done, but, you know, these upcoming, you know, weeks are, are critical. So check it out, NFL Fantasy Live, 2 p.m. Oh, 2 p.m. Like, a lot of people out there listening, probably my fantasy teams are pretty washed by now. You just, it's tough. I felt like we've deal, dealt with a lot of injuries. A ton of injuries. People try to draft running backs that you think you're going to do well, and then things happen, obviously injuries, and then running backs by committees. And you get the quarterback, the quarterback position this year is like deeper than I can ever remember. Right. You know, you, you, you draft, I mean, I'm very guilty of this. I drafted Russell Wilson in probably three leagues in <laughs> the third or fourth round, mm-hmm. thinking, man, he's going to, you know, he's kill it, Ball, Jimmy Graham. 
ton of points on the ground with his legs, but none of that happened because his offensive line is pretty trash. You just never know. I mean, you can do all the research. You can be an expert, but an injury, a player falling out of favor, the rise of someone else. Yeah. Look at any of your teams, and you'll have guys in there that no one would have thought, like, Matt Ryan. I, mean, I have Matt a team Ryan's that my quarterbacks, quarterbacks are Dak and Kirk Cousins that have yeah. kind of will me back into playoff contention. It's always a fun game. And that show, getting back to that, I worked on it your second year there. It, it's pretty intense, too. I mean, you don't realize, I didn't realize what a live show was like until right. working on that show. And uh, very good cast and crew, uh, a lot of good people there. But it is, it's a great gig. <laughs> live TV is extremely stressful, but it's extremely gratifying. And like people within the business, are such perfectionists like we freak out about you know a flash frame in a video or if we hit a freeze on a video yeah, most for like people a second. Won't notice. viewers at home yeah. won't think twice about it but like it is the biggest deal the people working on the show I mean, yeah i mean it's it's definitely it's definitely tough but it's extremely rewarding and i've really enjoyed it and you kind of learn too with a show that airs so many times six days a week if something bad happens just forget about it and you got a short-term memory yeah. but if it's a good show all right we got another one coming up right you can yeah. take a lot away from from that in, in that sense too yeah it's crazy to think of how much content you know we pump out and just like you said it's just on to the next one <laughs> as soon as it's done but yeah, you know, I, I love I love working on it, and it's kind of just what I fell into. You know, I'm not some fantasy. I wasn't some fantasy expert coming in. It was just walk around with the binder. No, it was just you know it was an opportunity to produce for a national show early on, and it's it's been some really great experience. You know, I'm very glad that you know I ended up there. Yeah, great great opportunity. I was very thankful for it. I don't think I'd be in a position I'm at right now without it. So I I know exactly. What do you mean there? Still talking with Nick Edmonds on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, I want to switch topics here. One of our common bonds was and is professional wrestling. Yes. When we worked together, that, I'd say, what, about 60 to 70% of conversations had either were about wrestling <laughs> or had a wrestling reference or theme definitely, into it? Definitely. It was, it was about all wrestling and always sunny. That was, you know, <laughs> on, on the off days, on the off days of work, you know, you'd find Mitch and myself just talking away about one of those two subjects and it was it was tough to see you leave because you know it was great it was great subject matter at work and now every year it's just this new new batch of people coming in straight out of college <laughs> making them feel old as hell yeah yeah well and then you have the wrestling episode of always sunny which is trash man but i'll be honest i'm not the biggest wrestling fan anymore i'll still peek my head in as was the case this past Sunday when we had Goldberg versus Brock Lesnar. Oh, which I, I saw the replay of this. Now, I was just about tuning out when they fought 12 years ago. That was about the tail end of my right. wrestling Same. era. Same. And I know what they're trying to do with Brock Lesnar. And, we're, and to anyone listening, we're not going to get into too much storylines here or get really <laughs> in-depth. But I'm fascinated by the Brock Lesnar wrestling character because he is the most badass character in the show. He's the actual UFC champion. Yeah. He's a giant Viking from Minnesota. But... They had Goldberg just squash him. I, I was stunned. I mean, we're spoiler. Sorry if we spoiled Survivor Series for you. Yeah, that, right. That. But I was stunned that they did that. I mean, a guy. I that think a lot of people were. streak too. I don't know. Yeah, I think they needed to do it to legitimize Goldberg because maybe a lot of the younger audience don't necessarily know who Goldberg is, as old as that makes me feel. <laughs> but you know, I think they needed to do that. Be like, okay, here's this incredible monster of a man, Brock Lesnar, and Goldberg is this good that he can take him out this quickly. I'm going to be honest. I was never the biggest Goldberg fan. We'll get into the childhood favorites in a second, but Goldberg never really did it for me. 
I get the, the aura around him. I get the dominance. But the more I got older, I appreciated the guys that could really go, that could wrestle long matches. Goldberg couldn't do that. And part of me wonders if that's what it was this Sunday, this past <laughs> Sunday, that he just couldn't go well, He's even and older and, now. Yeah, he's yeah. even older now. And I don't know. It that's just doesn't make point. too much sense to me that you've had this beast, Brock, who beat The Undertaker WrestleMania. Right. Beating Built everybody. Him out. And it's not even a full-time guy. It's not a, a future guy that could do something with the rub of, being Brock, that's my two cents of it. I mean, that's almost how I saw Brock when he first came back from MMA. I didn't think he was going to be a full-time guy myself. I thought he was just... Well, he's still, know. I guess, a part-time guy, but he does more than <laughs> Goldberg's. Yeah, definitely. Um, and just going back, I mean, I was never that big of a Goldberg guy either, just because he didn't have that much character. He was just, like, intimidating. He was very big and athletic and strong, but, like, you know, so many other guys have so much more charisma, and that's such a big part of it. He had a sweet entrance, ton of pyros. That was great. Spear was cool. Looking. Spear was cool. But I, I think I am going to tune in a little bit more. It's hard because I don't care about that many of the new guys. And I think I think Vince and the guys at WWE know that, that the older crowd, like, to keep us entertained, you do kind of have to bring some of these older guys back to kind of keep our interest. Yeah, I tuned out. I guess the last new guy, the last guy was Punk. When CM Punk was there, I was watching. I, when he first rose to power, I guess, 2011, when he was dropping those pipe bomb promos, and that's like, okay, I and I might have only watched one segment of the show, but I'm going to see what he's doing tonight. Right, right. After that, it's just, it's harder now, you know, and then, of course, he tries MMA and gets absolutely slaughtered. In oh, his first man. UFC is he going to fight again? Is he going to keep going? He wants he to, destroyed. but how, how could he? Like, and this is not, like, CM Punk could beat up, like, 95% of the people he comes into contact with on right. a daily basis. These are trained assassins. <laughs> Sorry, I mean, he started too late. He's 38 now. The guy who lost no, to was like he's 22, not. 23. Is he really? Yeah, he's maybe 30, 37, 38. Yeah, I mean, I CM Punk, you messed up, man. You did, but you know, we mentioned Goldberg. I wasn't a Goldberg fan. It's because my favorite wrestler growing up was his bald-headed rival. So right, you're like, who is this guy? You know, who's this well, goateed bald guy. guy? There was two guys. You know, and look, I'm I'm doing this podcast now wearing a Ric Flair shirt, and I became a fan of. Yeah, his. I put this on just for you. Oh, we got the Stone Cold shirt. Got the Stone Cold the shirt. sweatshirt reveal. Yeah, it's like switching sides at, uh, at Survivor Series. <laughs> yeah, I take take my shirt off, reveal I'm yeah. NWO. <laughs> I wasn't alive when Flair was in his prime. I watched all those YouTube clips, I watched his old matches, and talk about charisma. And, and his charisma, yeah. But I knew Flair as the, the older guy that was funny on the microphone, but not the <laughs> yeah. dominant force. Evolution. Yeah. Kind not, of old guy in evolution. In not really the wrestle. man. Like, he was. Right. There's two guys my era growing up. It was Stone Cold and The Rock were the two. And yes. I, I, Stone Cold, ahead of The Rock by a decent margin, although he had his injury and The Rock kind of took the mantle. And they had my, my money, the best match of my life, was Rock versus Stone Cold when Stone Cold turned heel at WrestleMania 17. And that was so awesome because they didn't have to mess around with other gimmicks. It's just me versus you, the two faces of the company. Right. Two, two unbelievably popular but distinctly different. And just Stone Cold was just the anti-hero, the first one of his kind. Not only were they both two of the best that you know at the time, but they were the two most loved by the people. It was crazy to have them go up against each other, and I think... You kind of needed one of them to go heel, and I think it made more sense for at the time for Stone Cold. Yeah, to go the Rock heel. was as crazy as that was to see. It, it was for, weird, but the Rock was, on, like, was side. the Rock was about to leave as a full time wrestler. And look, no one has ever been more successful outside of wrestling, and that will never happen again. No one will ever be more successful, in my opinion, than the Rock leaving wrestling. You say a lot of wrestlers get used up by the system; they end up without that much money, without that many skills. The Rock used the system 
to become the biggest movie star in the world. Just right. He used to be known as the most electrifying man in sports entertainment. You can get rid of the sports. It's he's the most electrifying man in entertainment. The guy is killing he the game. Loses charisma. Right. I mean, and he's so likable. I feel like, and you know, anybody can like him. He's doing a ton of movies. He's got that huge Under Armour deal now. I, Ballers is funny. Baller, yeah, Ballers is entertaining. The only thing I don't like, I feel like everyone in the WWE now is trying to kind of copy his blueprint. Everyone's trying to leave wrestling, (laughs) make movies, all these like like straight Marine Three or whatever. But Marine Three, yeah, you know, Cena did it. Miss is doing it. (laughs) Kane had a horror movie that I rented one time. Don't ask me why. I think it was called See No Evil. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's kind of like it's a little discouraging. Like I guess you can't blame them. Like wow, you see The Rock did that. Why not take a shot at it? I feel like everyone's doing it now. Like people leave wrestling to go make movies and they come back, and it's just like. I'll say this. I guess a quote started my top two. Chris Jericho's still around. I always like him for his insults. Heel Jericho is incredibly entertaining. He's so funny. He's really great. Well, The Rock, when he came back from Hollywood, because he kind of got booed a little bit on his way out, the fans were noticing. He came back and embraced it and was Hollywood Rock, and it was so damn funny. Yeah. He just, he was a continuation of what was happening to him, but his disses, his timing, it was so, by the end they were cheering him because it was so entertaining, no matter what he did, and you know, you mentioned how likable he is. The only story I have with that, my uh, older sister for a number of years worked at a hotel in downtown Cleveland as one of like the front desk like managers. And they used to have WWE come in before they kind of upgraded. And The Rock came back during that run and she said he couldn't have been nicer. He was telling jokes to all the staff. Just a humble, down-to-earth guy. And it's like, gee, now he's People Magazine Man of the Year. And if you go to like my mom and grandma and sisters all like him, like he just appeals to everyone. He's just monstrous too. Like I, well, I almost Instagram. walked out of the movie when uh, Vin Diesel got the better of him. Fast, yeah, that was right. a joke. <laughs> he hit him with, Vin Diesel hit him with like a flying headbutt. Five eleven to six move. four. That's all I'm gonna yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, that was that was pretty uh, unbelievable. But yeah, he's a beast though, and and I'm I'm glad he's still coming back around WWE because, like you said, we need that older. Or to get us back in. I think he needs to come back a little bit more because I think the last few times I've seen him come on, Rock, I love the guy, he was rusty. It was, there was a little bit of rust, which is to be expected, so maybe come back a little more often, you know. We can't have Undertaker forever. Like, I like him. I'm a huge fan of the dead man. Biker Taker was a very underrated gimmick. I know why he switched back. but Definitely. definitely. But he's getting old. I don't want to see him get hurt out there. <laughs> like, you, know? I mean, you still got Shane O'Mac, you know. Shane yeah. O'Mac, I think at Survivor Series, pulled off a ton of crazy moves. Like, uh... Why are these billionaire sons, why are they risking it? Like, I always have respect for Vince McMahon because he's willing to do things that no billionaire should. Right. <laughs> I mean, I thought Shane O'Mac was just going to come for that WrestleMania and then walk away, and now he's like, has that role as like GM of SmackDown or something, yeah. and, and like he's still, like in Survivor Series, he was taking bumps and like doing a lot of moves, and God bless him, man. Like, I, do, I do like the fact that he's repping the Jordans now when he comes out. That's yeah, nice yeah. Little, he's got his own now. He's he got does. his own custom Shane O'Max. We're, we're going to further that wrestling conversation definitely the next time that you're back on. Yeah. But we're talking with Nick Edmonds on the Money Mitch Effect, and before I let you go, this is what I saved for last. We've always talked about, and this will segue right into it, we've always talked about new ways to make sports more exciting, some practical, some just utterly ridiculous. We're going to go to the utterly ridiculous side. Just in theory, what our best ideas would be for making sports more entertaining. And I wrote down a little list. I don't really write stuff down. I do most of my prep work on uh, Wikipedia. But we have something here to go with. 
And the first idea that we mentioned jokingly a while back, Nick, the time the WWE, was a money in the bank clause in sports. That's right. Now, I think we should just preface this with a little <laughs> bit of an explanation of money in the bank. Basically, whoever had the money in the bank suitcase, this gold suitcase, could challenge the current champion at any time they wanted. The current champion could be in the middle of a match. He could have just finished, you know, a 30-minute match. Whoever has that just suitcase. Just need a referee. Yeah. And you need a referee and you need the suitcase. And, you know, you can challenge the champ at any time. And could you imagine Tom Brady last season coming out and challenging the Broncos? <laughs> Tom Brady sprinting out of the tunnel, you know, after the Broncos won and challenging, you know, with the full team behind him. <laughs> Tom Brady fully jacked up <laughs> and just challenging the Broncos right after their game and then having to play uh, a full game. I mean, you talk about NFL ratings are down. Oh, God. Bring the money in the bank. There's so many good ways. Like the Cubs are about to end their curse. Oh, my God. They're from the Royals. <laughs> yeah, you know? right. Uh, in hockey, we mentioned like like a goalie getting run, like a team winning a game of being sore, and here comes a team down. Oh, my God. Here come the Blackhawks. Just coming down the tunnel, in. yeah. I thought, you know, the one sport in particular that I thought this would be best in was golf. Imagine like a Tiger Woods just on one knee. I finally did it. And here comes like Sergio Garcia just coming down with the briefcase, challenging him on 18 at, at Augusta. On the uh, last hole. That could be good. So I'm going to get into a few of these. You'll have to yeah. tell me what you think. Sure. Now, here's what I thought about watching the World Series in the playoffs. Where I, I, I like baseball, but it's too long. And they gotta they got to speed it up yep. somehow. Yep. And here's an idea. So everybody likes to call time. The batters and the pitchers just like take their sweet time and, and make it boring. Let's put some hot coals around the mound and in the batter's box. You can step outside as long as you want. <laughs> yeah, as long as, as long as you're physically willing to. Hey, you want to take time? You're going to have to earn it. Let's go, right? <laughs> they won't be doing that too much. Yeah, I like that. I think mean, we, we can start it in the, in the minor leagues, see how it works out, and then <laughs> see eventually right. bring it up to the big leagues. Here's one that I think could maybe have some life to it. And I thought baseball, but you could probably do this with any sports. Let's not reveal who got traded until they show up on the on-deck circle. Oh. I thought about this because Puig was dangling. They're like, there's a team interested in, in Yasiel Puig with the Dodgers. Now he didn't get traded. But there was this whole thing with him. Is he going to get traded? Who's it? Oh, a rumor, a mystery team. Yeah. What if he's just in D.C. at the National, just comes out of the Oh, my God, Puig's here. <laughs> Puig's here. Yeah. He's here. Yeah. <laughs> I think you could also do that with injuries. Let's say, you know, go to the Patriots again. But Gronk, you know, his status is up in the air. Right. He's got that perforated lung or whatever it is, get rid of injury reports, and it makes the games 10 times more suspenseful. Is he going to play? Is 90 he not? minutes is kind of ridiculous, right? Like, can we just say that the 90 minutes before, I know it kind of hurts you guys in the fantasy yeah, realm having to get yeah. the boards up, but. Let's just say, you know, they're a quarter into the game, we still don't know if Gronk's going to show up, and all of a sudden, you know, you hear his entrance music, <laughs> and he's coming out, you yeah. know, full pyrotechnics out of Gillette Stadium. Why isn't it like a fantasy lineup where you have until 11.59.59 to, to activate yeah, Grok? Right. Oh, sorry, you missed yeah, it. He's in the lineup, yeah. Yeah, so that's another one. Now, here's one, and this goes beyond sports. This is the first one and probably only one on this list that will. I'm going to steal uh, something from another sport. I love how Augusta, they put the jackets on. I want to see the ex-champions have to present champions with the belt. Uh, Could you imagine if, like, Draymond would have had to give LeBron the trophy or just presenting, like, a hockey championship where you have to present the guy that oh you probably gosh. ate? How about 
presidential elections. Just having you <laughs> see Obama put the jacket on Trump. Right, right. right. Oh my God, that that would be much CTV right there. That'd think... probably make a lot more fights. You know, you'd have to you'd have to <laughs> yeah, expect a lot more brawls. Well, I'm all for anything that you know. There's a chance there could be a fight. Here, here's another one. I'm gonna go to my realm, the tennis world. Anybody on tour that's dating another tennis player should be required to play in a mixed doubles tournament with him. I want to <laughs> test this relationship out. It would have to be like another couple, though. You can't have like two pros and then just like... Well, no, I'm, I'm saying if they're both on tour, if they're both professional tennis players, yeah. a guy and a girl are dating, put them in a tournament. I want to see their love on full display yeah. and the fights and everything. That right, there would be a lot of tense moments, you know. <laughs> wow. Yeah, man, see? You're warming up to that one. Last one here. We're talking about replays and whether or not the buzzers are, are working and if they're getting, you know, buzzed in time. What the coaches kind of shock the refs a little bit, you know, like, hey, I called it, you know, shock. <laughs> or how about, you know. Belichick just zapping a referee. <laughs> this happens all the time in WWE where someone will knock out a ref and pin someone or, you know, do something, you know, do something a little sleazy while the ref's knocked out. What if we started doing that, you know, in the NFL? A couple ref bumps. Yeah, yeah. you know, like it's someone on the sideline. It's not a penalty if the refs don't see it. Yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. Someone on the sideline gets them with a steel chair. There's too much you know. video, though. That video review really ruined. Uh, I mean, it didn't ruin WWE, thank God, yeah. but it's ruining sports. Oh, my God. Did you see last night? <laughs> no. The whole debacle. I mean, I didn't. The Hopkins thing where oh, yeah, they ruled him out of bounds and they couldn't review yeah. it. And then there needs to be a common sense thing in some of these. Like, yeah, you can't review it, but he was running up and down the sideline. He finished the play. And like the Texans also had like two super obvious first downs in the uh, in the fourth quarter. Bill O'Brien didn't challenge the third down, and then he challenged the fourth down and didn't get it. And the spot looked a little suspect. I did see that. Yeah, it was. Yeah, a little I mean, weird. I'm only salty because I have Lamar Miller, and I ended up losing by like .5. And oh, the last thing I wanted to say about the WWE comparisons. Tennis end of the year tournament, they always take the top eight and they have alternates. Two guys just in the back hanging out. You know, no backstage beatdowns where, oh, we need somebody else to fill in. Oh, look who's here. You know, yeah. Opportunistic. Just thing. waiting, waiting in the, behind the curtain. And the worst rule in sports, in my opinion, well, I'll say my opinion. Definitely my dad's been harping on this for a long time in the NBA when you get to just move the ball all the way up in the last minute of a game. Like, not even half court. Now we're letting people move up three-fourths of the court and advance the ball without having earned it. For me, the best way I can describe it is we're making it. It's not a rule at any other level of basketball until you get to the pros. Why are we making the game easier for the best? Why isn't, like, the one-foot to two-foot rule, college to pros, the natural progression of how many feet you need to get inbounds as the game gets harder? Mm -hmm. It's the only rule that just gets easier as you get older. Yeah, yeah, I I really don't get that. Without having earned it, you know, with you advance the ball without having earned it, it's the only time in the game. Yeah, you're talking about like if someone calls like a timeout with or three seconds ball. left. Yeah, just move it all the way up. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't. Well, Nick, thanks for joining the show. I think we covered a lot of bases here. I think so, and you know, I don't know how much time there is, but I wanted to do maybe some Thanksgiving power rankings. I don't know if this is the last oh, episode no, right ahead, for Thanksgiving. Yeah, uh, yes, it will be. So we we have time for that. Okay. Give me your Thanksgiving power rankings. Are you gonna do? Desserts? Are you going to do dishes? Well, or are you going to do... You can do separate. Relatives? Uh, or are you gonna, <laughs> just the, I think, uh, I mean, as far as sides, oh, man, it, see, this is tough. <laughs> I, I I opened Pandora's box you here. Did. This is tough. But, you know, I think you can't go wrong. Mashed potatoes and gravy. My dad makes a mean sweet potato. He'll do, like, sweet thing. potato. I love mashed potatoes. Got to cut you off. But I'm not the biggest gravy guy, like it kind of, but there's so many other good potatoes that come out on Thanksgiving, I always feel like I'm not right. really eating mashed potatoes. You got mashed potatoes, you got sweet potatoes, yeah. you know, sometimes baked potatoes. Oof. 
It's a lot of potato. It's big time for potato uh, in America. But also, I did want to ask you, well, you kind of just said it, gravy or cranberry for turkey or just normal turkey without anything. I like a little gravy, not much. The broth, the juice from the turkey I oh, like, too. I'm not a cranberry guy. No? Um, there's only, you know, I love just about every side. I'm not a cranberry sauce guy. I don't really like a lot of rice stuffing, but bread stuffing can be amazing. I don't even know what rice stuffing is. Yeah, I, I come from a Greek family, so oh, okay. it's, it wasn't very good. Um, <laughs> I just gritted my teeth. Yeah, stuffing is great. I mean, I love, I love the brown gravy. I'll put the brown gravy on the turkey, on the mashed potatoes, even on the stuffing. You know, call me crazy. Well, yeah, but, but a corn souffle. Corn souffle is good. Yeah. yeah, but as far as you know, I do like cranberry. I'm never going to eat cranberry by itself, but I love fruit with meat. It's weird. Like, it's gotten, uh, it's grown on me too. Yeah, pork and you. applesauce, turkey, you, yeah. cranberry. I love the sweet and savory of it. I think I would do white meat and cranberry and dark meat with gravy. I think that's the, yeah. the Nick Edmonds yeah. <laughs> rule. Wow. I mean, that was, wow, that was great. And we didn't necessarily rank them, but we gave a lot of options out. Yeah. For I mean, it's hard to rank them because yeah. I'm putting everything on the plate. Yeah. Everything's, I'm stacking that plate. I find uh, that I don't eat as much meat as you'd think. Like, I always get a good-sized plate, fill everything, yeah. and I go back for a lot of sides. I do, uh, I make uh, little sandwiches. You know, a lot of, a lot of Thanksgiving <laughs> meals will have little rolls. Yeah. yeah. I'll break that in half, put some meat in there, maybe some stuffing and gravy. And speaking of, some of the best leftovers you'll ever have, you can make a Thanksgiving leftover sandwich. That's oh, fantastic. Phenomenal. And maybe pies, too. Oh, God. What's, if you can only, <laughs> this, this only cool. have one pie on Thanksgiving, what are you going to eat? Or maybe it's not even a pie. Maybe it's a dessert. Maybe it's a baklava. If you're see, I'm a cheesecake guy. I'm a cheesecake guy. Oh, My me too. Makes the I best love cheesecake ever. So I mean, I'm unfortunately I haven't been back in a while. But just like a normal just, plain cheesecake. No, or? it's a, it's different. I can't I really explain, but it's great. Uh, I love pumpkin pie. I love apple pie, pecan as well. Yeah, I don't discriminate. <laughs> I'm a dessert guy. Right. Yeah. And that's what gets me every year. The last time I was back in in Ohio, I've been. In the Midwest, was in St. Louis for a couple of Thanksgivings and out here for the last. This will be my third one. The last Ohio one I had, I think 2011, I had about six or seven pieces of dessert and couldn't move. Yeah. <laughs> my mom was literally like, let's go. I'm like, I need 30 minutes to lay down on the couch. Right. Like, yeah, I you gotta, do. Gotta, I got to unbutton just, the pants, you know. Just go. Need some time to breathe. I think if it's Thanksgiving, I got to go. And I have one choice. It's pumpkin pie, a little dollop of whipped cream. Whew, yeah. But if we're going to go any pie, any time, I do the apple with a scoop of ice, ice cream. cream. Oh, you know Oh, yeah. Yeah, you got to go. Hot apple, apple pie vanilla. with a scoop of cold vanilla ice cream doesn't get more American than that. It really does. No, it doesn't. Like, I just usually. Besides well, Kurt Angle. Usually. Kurt Angle. Usually. Yeah. yeah. Chugging a butter apple pie. Kurt just, Angle with, you know, tall glass of got vanilla. some Russian in the ankle lock. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah. Uh, but real well, the last thing I wanted to say, though. Yeah. Compare and contrast the Chicago Midwest Thanksgiving time of day to West Coast with the football, with everything. It's It's kind of tough. It is tough. It's definitely tough. I haven't done Thanksgiving really on the West Coast because if I am here, it means I'm working. Mm-hmm. And I mean, NFL's great for Thanksgiving. They they actually do give us a really good meal. I've heard. Um, like it's a buffet style meal, and it's it's impressive for sure. But I mean, as far as the time, I guess if I'm in the Midwest, we're eating probably any time between one and three, and then it's just out. You know, you just keep going back. You know, mm-hmm. throughout the day. I guess the one thing that really changes is the time of the football games because yeah I, that's what's kind you of you base the meal different. around the football game midwest sometimes. it's easy you got the morning game and then food and then yeah. afternoon game to eat yeah you, you know the morning game i guess the first game i should call it out here is over by you know 11 30 12 and then it's like there's a second game on they added the third game we have a college game too but 
What's the college game? Do you know? And I'm in LSU. Ooh, two ranked teams. Shout out to Coach O. Yeah. Former yeah, great USC uh, interim head coach. Interim coach for life, Coach O. He was great. <laughs> well, that's that's going to do it, Nick. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, we'll have to do this again, man. we got a lot to cover. I've already got, you know, ideas rolling. I wanted, I wanted to talk about maybe... Uh, just because I saw this video on Facebook, they showed Brock Lesnar and Goldberg <laughs> on their former NFL teams. For, and I didn't even Falcons know that Goldberg. Falcons, yeah. yeah, I didn't know Goldberg was in the NFL, so that's awesome. So maybe we could talk next time about manning an NFL team with only WWE superstars. Right. Who would well, play what? You know? Wow, that's a, that's a good I think question. Goldberg was like either a linebacker I, or like a DN. So. Can I put Ray Mysterio on the slot? <laughs> yeah, you absolutely could. A little Wes Walker, you shifty. Yeah. So that's definitely something to chew on for yeah, next time. For sure. And I know we've tossed around some ideas before of other things, so we'll definitely link up and uh, yeah, do something big. Well, Nick, thanks again for coming on the show. Special shout out to both our guests for coming on the show, Nick Edmonds, Sam Haney. It was a pleasure talking sports with you gentlemen. Can't wait to do it again. You can listen to The Money Mitch Effect on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and Google Play. Follow me at Twitter at MoneyMitchM21 as well as that. 29 episodes in, and we got one more coming, number 30 on Friday. Yeah, we're going to grind it out this week. I know it's a vacation. I know everyone's getting some much-deserved time out, but I just want to keep talking sports, so if you'll allow me to do that, that is going to be what happens. So thanks again for listening to The Money Mitch Effect. Mitch Michaels signing off. And enjoy Turkey Day. It's a holiday centered around eating. What's a better American celebration than that? God bless, and I'll see you next time on The Money Mitch Effect.